This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The share it with a friend deal. Even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with BOGO breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Hello, this is Hey Dude Shoes. This is an ad, but not for your ears, for your feet. Are they listening? Good. Hey Dude Shoes are the squishiest, airiest, lightest go-to shoes you'll ever have the pleasure of introducing your toes to. So light, a butterfly could steal them. So soft, kittens seethe with jealousy. So cushy, your hands will curse your feet for all the love and attention. Toes, you've hit the jackpot of comfy. Hey Dude, good to go to. And welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. This is our championship final victory for Fulham show, Cottage Talk post-match show. And we have a huge amount of co-hosts on with me. And we might be having two special guests hopefully joining us during the show. I'm Russ Goldman. Next to me is Scott Tanfield from Friends of Fulham. Next to him is Emil Donnell. In the left-hand bottom corner is Max Cohen. And in the right-hand corner is Claire and her family. And listen, we're going to go through and we're going to talk about the playoff final. And we're going to have a wonderful show. This should be a lot of fun. Like I said, we could have two special guests joining us, hopefully. Emilio's working on that as we speak. And uh, just want to let you know, everyone watching live, feel free to share comments. And um, maybe we'll get to a few. And also just want to mention that this will be a podcast as well. Okay. Where we're going to start the show is we're going to go around the room, basically, and we're just going to talk about our experiences of watching the championship final. Mr. Tanfield, I'm going to start with you. Just tell us a little bit about where you watched it and who you watched it with. Um, 
chickened out a little bit. I sat indoors and I watched it on my own. Um, I mean, the build-up to the game, full of anxiety, nerves, I think, which everyone felt. Um, I just, it was one of them kind of games, I think we got beat by them. You know, we'd, I don't know, I just didn't know how I'd, how I'd handle it. So, decided to sit indoors, have it on the TV in the background. I had done some quotes for work and I just concentrated <laughs> by keeping one eye on the TV. Um, phone was going mental in regards to sort of people that I had, um, sort of, I mean, sort of West Ham fans, etc. They were texting through WhatsApp, and and I was looking down, and all of a sudden the phone just sort of buzzed, and it was what a free kick, and the nerves went again, and I kind of peered up, and then I was that goal from Joe Bryan, but no, it was quite a reserved one for me, Russ. Nerves got better than me, so I, I sort of sat indoors. <laughs> well, the nerves got to me too, Scott. I watched it by myself. My son joined me after he heard me yell after the first Joe Bryan goal, and then he joined me for the second. So it was really nervy, so I, I get that, Scott. All right, Emilio, I'm going to go to you. Just share with me how you watch this match. I was going to say, um, for those who know me well, I tend to always watch big games or just normal matches on my own, to be honest. I, I like to be in control of the – I like to listen to the commentary. I like to follow the game. I don't always like the distraction of people alongside me talking. When I go to Craven Cottage, I'm always analysing the game – I'm always commenting on on tactics and, you know, I tend to like just very much in the zone. Whenever I watch international games, it's exactly the same. I, I watch Italy and England games, but I watch them alone. I don't, you know, I like to be alone and concentrate on the game. And this was no different, you know. I was saying last week, I didn't feel as nervous going into this, man, weirdly. I was more nervous two years ago because the expectations were higher. Was this time, I thought, no pressure. The darlings of Brentford, they've got all the media pressure. For me, they, you know, they're, they're, you know, let's just play our own game. And I think that's what, exactly what we did. So, I was able to watch the gaming, you know, in, in relaxed circumstances, no swearing in front of the box, surprisingly, and yeah, just just really just take enjoy the moment and hoping that we were good enough to to get the you know the victory on the night. So for me, it was just about just being composed and just watching the game and trying to enjoy it without being distracted from all. And I was trying to avoid social media during the game as well. And <laughs> so look, look at it at halftime and uh, you know at, at the end of the first ninety minutes, but I was avoiding pe- listening to people's negative comments, feedback. Let me just concentrate on the game, enjoy the game, and hopefully we'll go come away with the result, which we did in the end. Okay, excellent. Scott, I want to go back to you before I go to Max, because you, you and I were talking about this off-air. How much of the stress was the fact that Fulham could lose to Brentford? I know it was a part of my stress. I wanted them to go up, but I did not want them to lose to Brentford. I think that's what made the game a little bit more uh, anxious for people. Um, I think if we played Swansea or something like that and uh, we'd lost, I think we could take defeat a bit more gracefully, I think. Uh, but because it was Brentford, I think that's kind of what was at stake. Um, I've said before on social media and, and obviously friends of Fulham and bits and pieces like that, where if we, I think if we'd lost to Brentford, I think that kind of turned things on its head, the rivalry and everything else for us. Yeah. Um, you know, we would have not lived that down for years. Um, you know, that would have come back to haunt us. But now, obviously, beating them, um, you know, the, the 4-1 whooping, you know, the jotter in the last minute is all irrelevant now, you know. Uh, yeah. We move on and it's bragging rights and uh, we're back where we are. We have it for the foreseeable future. We'll always have that, Scott. It's funny because that argument is is won now. They can have that 4-1 to all they want. You have this. And uh, <laughs> that's what's so, as I use this word, delicious about this because I find their supporters obnoxious. So I'm just glad that we have this over them. Max, over to you. Just give me your experience. 
Yeah, you know, I actually watched it um, with my whole family. Um, so I couldn't watch it alone because we all would have been in different places in the house and who would have known which stream is ahead. Mm-hmm. So I could have seen the goal and they would have yelled five minutes, five seconds beforehand. It would have been ruined. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best part for me was, of course, the Joe Bryan free kick goal. And I don't know about you guys, but for probably two or three seconds, I think we all thought it was side netting. And then we see Joe Bryan ever just running away in celebration. And that was that was one of the best the best moments I think I've had supporting Fulham. Of course, you would have loved to be there, but right. the pure joy, because it was 90, 105 minutes of stress before that. <laughs> and Brentford were the likelier side. Everyone was saying, listen, just play for penalties, sit back, just pray for a, for a win in the lottery. But to get that goal then was one of the best releases of stress and tension. And then after we got the second one, I was actually chanting, you know, we are Premier League, you know, the whites are going up. And, you know, my family said, Max, you know, it's Fulham. You, you can't be sitting early. And I was like, oh, they, they got the 2-1 goal. And, and I was very quiet until the final whistle went. Um, but it was a great moment to see it, you know, with my own family and to be surrounded here by the Fulham family. I think this is a really great, uh, the show is a great way to show we're international and, you know, we're a great community here. So okay. can't wait for the show. Excellent. Claire, before I go to you and your family, I just want to bring on a special guest, okay? Okay, joining us right now is Fulham legend Gordon Davis. Gordon, welcome back to the show. How you doing? I'm very well. A bit rushed off my feet at the moment, but it's just <laughs> great to see that uh, everybody in front of me has got a smiling face for a change. That's right, That's right Gordon. Listen, I'm going to come back to you in a second, but I want to now go to okay. Claire and just get Claire's thoughts and and your family's thoughts on your experience watching the final yes yeah, so Lisa and i went to my cousin so um there's quite a few of us at my cousin's house uh we actually have some qpr in our side of the family <laughs> for us so the two young boys who have been um indoctrinated into the qpr world they were actually wearing fulham shirts which was fabulous <laughs> and uh it, it was great it was great it was the the second best thing to being there because there was quite a few of us all together my dad didn't fancy it um I knew that we were going to win I just knew it I called it I said 2-1 I just knew it so I was you got it right I was I just I had such a feeling that we were going to win so on the day I was so hyped up I just knew we were going to win it I there was no nerves for me I was just so excited um and then, obviously, as the game went on, I, just, I still had that belief that we were going to win it. There was a lot, a complete opposite to Emilio. There was a lot of singing, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of craziness all the way through the game. One of our favourite, one of my favourite songs of the night was Who the mm, are Brentford when the Whites go marching in. That was one of our favourites of the night. Um but yeah, we just sung for ninety minutes. We just acted like we were at Wembley because it was. Oh, that's great! Get through it, just that's you know, by, by just feeling like we were there, just trying to create that atmosphere in, in my cousin's home. So um, yeah, it was. I mean, I'm still buzzing now from it. I'm absolutely <laughs> buzzing now. <laughs> well, Claire, seriously, I'm glad that you and your family could join us. And uh, Claire's a television star now. If you haven't watched her clip, please uh, check that out for. 20 minutes of fame. We'll, we'll call 20 minutes, right, Claire? <laughs> Two seconds, but yeah, 20 minutes. <laughs> Two seconds. Okay. Gordon, I want to go to you. First of all, thank you. We, we do have uh, one of your former teammates who's trying to join us. He's having some technical issues, but I'm glad that you were able to join us. So, Gordon, you're a former player. Just share with us your experience on 
championship final day. And what was going through your mind watching this match? Well, it was a bit like two years ago for me because um, I was uh, stuck in Spain, although I'd been invited back to the, uh, the Villa game at Wembley by the club. I couldn't make it, so I had to watch it on my neighbour's uh, Sky uh, television out in Spain. So it was a weird situation. I was more nervous with a full crowd there than I was with the Brentford game and nobody watching. Um, it was it was surreal. As, as Claire mentioned, I didn't have any nerves at all. Um, I really? think in the podcast that we did before the final... Yep. I mentioned to you that I think the if we play our keep ball game, then it's a big pitch and Brentford would struggle to sort of close us down in that final third and put us under pressure. And you the way we it. started the the way we started the game, I was totally at ease by the, the football that we were playing. And it was to me it was just a matter of time. As long as we kept our concentration defending. It was only a matter of time before we would wear them out and get the first goal and get the lead. So it was it was a, a real strange final to watch because, as I say, there were no nerves at all from my point of view. And I am the same as everybody else now. I am just a supporter. So I get the O's, the R's, the expletives and everything as same as, as everybody else that's, that's on the podcast tonight. But it was just... I just felt confident from the dip, from the from the start, and yep. when I found out the team, which was very late on, um, only a few minutes before kickoff, because I was doing a few things, um, I thought, well, obviously Mitchell isn't fit because we did say if he's fit, he plays. Right. So we were lucky, according to Mitchell, we were lucky to get ten minutes out of him. Never mind, sort of half an hour. So it was a really weird situation to be in in a final when it's such a big game for everybody that's involved at the club and to have no nerves at all. I just wish it was like that every week. <laughs> I wish I had your nerves there, Gordon, because I was nervous as hell. But I understand where you're coming from. And when we break down the match in a little bit, I definitely want your analysis because uh, you called it. Like I said, you called how the match could potentially go. And uh, I want to talk about the tactics, especially in the first half, because I've rewatched the match several times in the first 25 minutes. Now, after what you said, it all makes sense because we were in complete control in those first 25 minutes, and I can now understand why you do not have any nerves. Okay, guys, let's move on. Mr. Tanfield, back to you. Let's talk about – let's go further in, and let's just get your reaction to when you found out or saw Joe Bryan's first goal. Let's just talk about the first goal and what was going through your mind when you found out or saw that uh, Fulham went ahead. Um, I mean, initially pleased for Joe because, I mean, he, he's taken a lot of stick over the season, I think. Um, and, I mean, I don't know whether that was planned on, on, on the training ground. Um, I think there was sort of talk or, you know, sort of chat that there, that there was. Um, but, I mean, it was just as if he, he sort of stuck his hand up and it was kind of he was going to swing the ball in. And, and being an ex-goalkeeper myself, Rayner has sort of positioned himself to, to sort of come out and maybe attack that cross, but um, he's kind of in it. And I, and I thought well, this had been scuffed. And then the next thing, you know, the goalkeeper strand is hit the back of the net and it's kind of a little bit of disbelief, really. Um, but great technique. I mean, what was it? Absolutely. 
40 odd yards out. Um, fantastic goal, great vision. And if it was sort of planned and they'd looked at Brentford and, and, I, and I think they'd looked at the goalkeeper, I think that's a, that's a great bit of genius for us. Absolutely. Emilio, over to you. I'll just share my thoughts real quick. <clears throat> I thought it hit the side netting. I, I didn't believe that it went in. I honestly said there's no way this went in until I saw the players' reactions. That was my reaction. It was a delayed reaction. What was your reaction when the goal went in? Yeah, because I think I agree with Scott because I, I was expecting the ball to be whipped in, you know, obviously as, as did the keeper, but their keeper's made a few mistakes in recent weeks. Yeah. You know, he's, been, he's been, and again, maybe this was, maybe Fulham had done their homework because obviously they've, they've realised oh, this guy's made a few mistakes. He looked unconvincing throughout the game as well, you know, at times, you know, rather than coming to claim the ball, he was punching it out. He looked, he looked uncomfortable throughout. So maybe tactically, you know, they'd done their homework and something was working quite well, but I don't know if you guys see, but when obviously, well, whilst there's no fat, no fans in the stadium, you always get like a, de- a delayed reaction from the commentators. Yeah. So the ball was in the back of the net, and then it's like a two second, oh, Fulham have scored. So <laughs> it, it, it didn't actually, you can't really quite register. I don't know if you guys notice that, but you always get this delayed reaction when a team scores when there's no fans in the stadium. You haven't got obviously the fans behind the goal or side, you know, either side of the stadium. So for me, I, I, it was disbelief. Really, really, is that a goal? I, I didn't jump up and down. I was just like, really. Is, is it going to be? Is there going to be a VAR? Is it going to be a check here? I wasn't comfortable until the referee said, "Yep, it's 100 percent a goal." Yep. And you go, to, you know, into the halfway pace, and Brentford can kick off um, with being a goal down. So for me, I, it didn't quite sink in. Yet. It was weird. They said you haven't got the fans celebrating. You weren't quite sure whether it was a goal or not. Could VAR overturn it? It was only about a minute later. Then this is real. We have scored. Goodness me! Like then, uh, my wife was upstairs. She was in there doing doing work in her study. Well, she could hear me. He's like, you know, just hitting my hand on the on the table and just shouting. <laughs> he said, to me, "I don't believe you." Fulham conceded. Went no, the other way. Fulham just scored. And, so, and I could hear her chanting from upstairs as well. So, it was a very weird celebration. So. Okay, very good. And uh, I'll just share this again with you guys before I go to Max. That uh, when I screamed, my son thought that Brentford had scored because it sounded like I was again. It, it, feeling negative but it wasn't I, I i just was in shock and uh he actually thought brentford had scored when he came in he's like really fulmar are winning i said yes <laughs> max over to you how did your family react yeah i mean we i was just running around the entire house screaming and, and we thought <laughs> and the neighbors because where we live i mean no one really is a film supporter it's five in the afternoon they probably thought you know we were getting murdered just screaming <laughs> um but it, it was it was a great feeling russ i mean i, yeah. I still look back at him and dan mason said in the comments i want to see more camera angles I'd love to see the angle from Joe Bryan's position. Oh, absolutely. As you know, we said it was so, it was miles out. He's no right to shoot from there. No, and he really doesn't. I've seen so much, you know, written about in the, in, in the, in the coverage saying terrible error by Rhea. I mean, to be fair, it's terrible positioning, but to, to the accuracy of that and also just the belief to hit it from that range, I've never seen anything like it from a football player. And especially someone like Joe Bryan, yep. who, you know, just after the restart, he was dropped. I mean, he had a terrible time of it at Ellens Road. And he was a player. A lot of people were saying, listen, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve to start. So to me, that really summed up the feeling of this Fulham side that they were written off. Mm-hmm. Same with Scott Parker. People were calling for him to be sacked. <laughs> One minute into the QPR match, we thought he'd be gone. Um, and just a month and a half later, it's crazy. we're in the Premier League. So I think I was happy for Brian, but the belief to hit that is just, that's next level. Okay, excellent. All right, Claire, what happened at your family's house? Because I can just imagine. Well, um, like I say, it was pretty loud throughout. Um, <laughs> mostly when I got there, it started getting louder. Um, but 
yeah, again, it was that whole thing. There was that delay. Um, I think half of it was a tiny bit of disbelief and half of it was, like you say, did it hit the side or did it go in? We all sort of, like, paused, like, looked at each other and then just exploded. But um, it was just genius, wasn't it? And I think I saw on social media a lot of people had written that they thought Niskin's earlier effort what looked more in than Joe Bryan. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was like, yeah, no, totally. Because we all started, we all got up to celebrate knee skins and then obviously it wasn't. So when Joe's went in, we were all like, okay, now we can celebrate. But, <laughs> oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, I had no voice for the whole of Wednesday. Um, my voice completely went after that. It was just... All the sweeter because it was that cocky lot up the road, wasn't it? It was just incredible. <laughs> okay, excellent. Excellent. Great stuff there, Claire. All right, I'm going to go right back to you. Let's talk about the second goal. What was going through your mind when, when Joe Bryant scored again? Yeah. Claire. To me, sorry. Um, yep. Yep. Oh. At that time, it was. I think I, I was just, I knew that we were going to win. Like I said, I was so positive about the game. I'd already said it was 2-1. I had a really good gut feeling it was going to be, we were going to score two goals. So when it went in, I was like, that cemented it. That cemented it. I, I was sure then that we were going to win. And obviously, you know, I think maybe it was Amelia. Oh, no, it was you, Scott, who said, um, you know, Joey has had a bit of a hard time this season. Yep. I admit, I've been negative about him at times, which, you know, you guys know I'm not a very negative person. Not at all. There have been times that I've been a little bit negative about Joey, and I was just so happy for him that he got it as well. You know, I think I really wanted Neeskins to score in the final because I think he would have really deserved that. But I think I was so pleased for Joey because I think, you know, there has been negativity about him. And one of these guys that really does try... Um, so for him to get the two and be the hero, it, it just felt really sweet. And it just I was just elated, obviously, for us as fans, for the club, but but just for Joey as well. It was just pure elation at that point. Just okay, unreal. excellent. Great stuff, Claire. Listen, we have another special guest joining us. I'm going to bring him on right now. Got a full house here. And this secret square at the bottom, we have Rob Wilson. Rob, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm very good. Good evening. Sorry about that. Some technical issues. I couldn't get in on that code Emilio sent me, but uh, <laughs> my wife, being a technical lady, has uh, managed to do it eventually. But yeah, okay, well, uh, nice to see you all, and uh, such a great, uh, great time to all get together after the other night. Okay, excellent, Rob. I'm going to go to you before I go back to Gordon because I want to get Gordon's thoughts on on both goals. I just want to get your experience from watching the match. Uh, I, I've seen some things on Twitter on it. So share with me your experience watching the final, just in general. Um, well, I actually traveled down from Sheffield with uh, my son, Adam, and my son-in-law, Matthew. Uh, we met up with about 60 other Fulham fans in the Cedar Tree in uh, Putney. And I uh, hasten to say it was a long day on the uh, beverages, starting <laughs> about 3 o'clock, uh, and then obviously uh, finishing around 10.30, 11 o'clock that night with um, so much elation that it was unbelievable, really. It was, a, you know, I had to watch the game the next day properly to uh, take it all in, obviously, because when you're watching it with a group of friends and 
and family, sometimes miss bits. So I watched the game the next afternoon after traveling back. A little bit hungover, I think. <laughs> okay. Excellent there, Rob. All right. Gordon, back over to you. I want to get your thoughts on the first goal. What was going through your mind? You you said you felt no pressure. Did you feel yeah. that Fulham were going to win it at this point when that first goal went in? And, and again, it, it looked like it was out of, out of the blue, but we now know that this was planned by Fulham, that they knew this weakness from the goalkeeper. They took advantage of it. So give me your thoughts, what was going through your mind when you saw him go for it and score? Well, when I saw him running up to take the free kick, as, as an old man, I just thought he's going to cross it into the box. But as you've ju just rightly said, they've done their homework and they've got to take great credit for that. And if the, if the keeper is coming out into areas where he's 90% sure that he's going to be on the end of a cross, no matter where it comes into the box, then to be perfectly honest with you, I'm full of admiration for Joe Bryan because Rob would know I can't even kick a ball that far. So even if there was no goalkeeper in the, in the goals, I wouldn't have been able to shoot because it just wouldn't have reached the goal. So the, the, the quality of the strike, because even if the keeper's way out from, from 35 yards out, he's got to put it into in a way, a one-yard space. And he's, uh, he's clipped it so well, and it's past the keeper before he even dives. And I think that makes uh, everybody wonder, as Claire said, whether it's gone into the side netting, because if it's, if it's that far wide, why is the keeper diving? Um, but I was totally astounded, to be perfectly honest with you, that A, he'd even shot from there, and B, that it had beaten the keeper. So when it went in, I just shouted, as, as you were saying, my wife Sue was out of the, uh, the room. I just shouted, they've scored. And she ran in, she ran in saying, what, Brentford? And I said, no, Fulham. You have got to watch. I said, you have got to watch this free kick. And then we, when they played back, I really wanted to see an angle from behind the goal, but, but I never did. And I've no. not seen one from behind the goal. No. So we were talking about it, that. There is, there's yeah, been no angle he's, there. He, he's obviously got to have bent it somewhat to get into the near post from where he was. Right. He started outside the post. So mm. perhaps it, we'll see it in, in, in the ether sometime. But uh, I was absolutely astounded by the, the that he took the shot on and that he scored. But it was brilliant technique and a, and a brilliant strike from a, a player who's – Shall we say, as Claire said, he's taken a lot of stick and I've given him stick this season for his defensive role. Yep. Nobody's said anything about him apart from good things when he attacks. But defensively, he can be a bit of a weak link. But the way that we played, he, he, he hardly got exposed all night. And right. fair play to him. The first one was a joy. The second one was a, a, a quality finish from somebody who you think gets in that position week in, week out. Mm -hmm. But the, the build-up play from um, the keeper to Cavallo back to Kearney, uh, we had a, sort of four passes, I believe, and it That's was in the correct. back of the net. And that was through one long ball, which we haven't perhaps played 20 times all season. So we can, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, when we mix it up, we give teams problem. If we play right. from the back from minute one and we keep playing that way, 
we cause ourselves problems. But two fantastic goals from uh, a player who probably got man of the match that nobody would have picked. And if you'd mm. put a fiver on Joe Bryan to score in the final, you probably would have got 5,000 to one. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right there, Gordon. Right back down to you, Rob. And uh, I want to get your reaction to what was going on where you were on both goals because I'm glad that uh, Gordon explained it in such a interesting way about both uh, situations there. And um, it came from a player that I wasn't expecting it from. But as I said earlier, I, it might have been before you came on, I actually thought it hit the side netting. I didn't want, I didn't believe it. And my son thought that Brentford scored because it wasn't this elation scream. It, it was more of like a, a distressful scream, honestly. So what was going on where you were for, at the first goal and then the second goal? Yeah, very much like like we all thought. I mean, when he did did try it from that tightest of angles, you wouldn't have thought it would have gone in. But my first, uh, I think the table I was sat on, they all they all jumped up, and I can just remember one of their players. I'm not sure which one it was going into the middle of the goal and picking the ball up and yeah. quickly taking it out. So I knew it straight in my head that it got in. But there was pandemonium, obviously, in the pub with people cheering. Those that thought it had gone in, those that are probably. Udenar that thought he'd decide it. I, all I can remember is watching the guy run into the back of the middle of the net and picking the ball up <laughs> to get him back to the, to the centre circle, which, you know, obviously uh, we, we all know it did go in. The second goal, as we've as, as Gordon just alluded to there, well, you know, was a very well-worked goal in, and you wouldn't expect Joe to be up that far, you know, yeah. so late on. I mean, Scott had made the decision to play five at the back and you know, you're probably asking Joe just to sit in a bit, but he did find himself on a a bit of a run, obviously, when Cavalera got the ball in the corner, looked to play it back to Tom. Tom's ball was a, 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 an excellent little one-touch pass into his path that opened it up for him and a lovely touch from Mitro and a, a nice foot and a nice finish on his right foot, which, you know, 2-0 in more or less going into the last minute of, of extra time, we all, we all, you know, was jumping up and down. Obviously, the the late uh, late goal they scored was a little bit of apprehension for a minute or two, but right I to say we uh, we did hang on and and it's nice for Joe to get it because we've all as 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 fans and as ex players and as media people we've all as as Gordon alluded to there we have punished him a bit for his defensive duties. On if you look at a lot of goal, goals that we've conceded this season, and I'm sure scouts and managers do the same as what we do as supporters is analysed. Uh, a lot of our goals come from the right-hand side, yeah. our left-back, um, as opposed to the other side. So it's nice for someone like him. And, and we shouldn't take away... There was two other unsung heroes in this last sort of five or six games. I think Cabano, uh, and I think even Kamara in the, in the final, he put a shift mm. in there that you know, totally we consistently. And, and we all said in the podcast before this final that I, I said that Kamara could be a match winner. He wasn't a match winner, but I thought he put in a very... A very accomplished performance, you know, on the night because usually, you know, he's one that can be a bit erratic. And I think Cabano for the last five or six games, along with Harrison Reed for the previous four or five, have been one okay. of the influential players within the squad. Excellent. Rob, I, I want to ask you this. As a former player, and say you were Scott Parker, do you, and I've heard some pundits talk about this, do you think Scott Parker was saying to himself when Joe Bryan was moving forward, no, 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 go back? And then he scores the goal and says, well done. <laughs> Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, we'd all, we all be guilty of uh, doing that mannerisms, or I'm sure in the back of his mind he was thinking that as he 
he did start to, but it was one of them situations where he was supporting Tom initially on, on the back of Cab getting it in the corner. But then as it went back to Tom, I think he obviously saw an explosive opportunity just to dive into. And, and obviously the one, if Tom had touched it, he would have probably kept running past him yeah. and he probably would have been out of the game and we might have gone backwards like we normally do. But I think the one touch pass that Tom played into his path was, was absolutely paramount to him going on to try and play the one, two with Mitro. Okay. Excellent stuff. All right. Back over to you, Scott. Let's talk about the second goal, your view of it. And I want to ask you this question. I'll ask everyone this question. After Fulham scored, did you think it was over or did you think it's not over yet? I'm being honest. I'm curious your view. When they scored the second goal, did you think it was over? It's um, it's never over when you're a Fulham. (laughs) That's why I asked the question. And um, and even when I watched um, these two down the bottom, Rob and Gorn back in, you know, when I was younger and stuff, when you're a Fulham fan, it's never over. Never over. <laughs> um, we've seen it time and time again. Um, like I said, I think, you know, my my expectations of the game were very nervy. Um, a lot of anxiety, just I think simply because of the game that it was. <sighs> kind of in the back of my mind that we had the quality to win that game, but it's just, you just never know. Um I mean, I just want to touch on the goal again because we we broke the other day and it's kind of like just going back to what Robin Gordon said about how we've mixed it up. Under the season, you know, the season we went up under Slav, we we played a certain way and we always won games a certain way. Um, And that's how we played throughout the season. We never kind of really mixed it up. But when we looked at the... Um, this final, very, very different. Um, you know, we, we played in, in so many different ways. We, we analysed games, you know, we, we looked at Brentford played and rather than playing to our strength sometimes, I think we kind of, we nullified Brentford um, and we pushed them into a type of way that we wanted them to play. Um, Absolutely. I want, I, want to, I want to touch on that in a little bit. I'm glad that you okay. mentioned that. And, and, the, and the second goal, which we broke down as well, um, you know, normally we pass, 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 and we get in a situation where we score the goal. But again, it comes from a punt from, from Rodak. It was picked up by Cavalero into Kearney's feet. The, the one-two touch, bang, goal. And it's it's very nice or change for us to go direct. And I think we purposely did that with Brentford when they got tired. Um, and I even looked around, again, with, with efforts from players. I mean, we'll probably touch on this again later, Russ, but I mean, that tackle from Kenny. I mean, have you ever seen him tackle like that before? Hmm. Um, great point, Scott. Uh, and it was just bits like that. And I mean, the second goal, you know, filled me with a lot of joy. We got that. And I, and I kind of thought myself, yeah. But being a Fulham fan, I thought, well, let's wait a little <laughs> Okay, excellent. Emilio, over to you. I was texting back and forth with you. I was talking about, oh, we have to plan the show. And you're like, it's not over yet, Russ. Stop. It's not over yet. So I understand where Scott's going. I got ahead of myself. It wasn't over, even up to nil. As Scott said, we're foam supporters. I should know better. What was going through your mind? Yeah, exactly the same. You know, for me, it's never over until the you know until that whistle blows, whichever team you support. And you know, we've we've seen it time and time again with Fulham. My most frustrating moments cover there and not taking that chance one on one. That's the thing that yeah. annoyed me the most of the game. Wrap it up, thrash Brentford three nil, and we can all go away and start celebrating. But that really annoyed me. And usually it's moments like that that change a game. There was another 15, 20 minutes left. That could have been a key moment for him missing a very a simple chance. In my opinion, he should have buried that three nil. Definitely game over. But then before you know it, look, we 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 you know we were probably smelling the victory, smelling the final whistle. And we made, you know, that annoyed me that we conceded that goal. We just lost concentration for a fraction of a moment. But that could have happened five minutes earlier. So for me, it's, it's, it's simple things that turn a game. And that Cavalera miss could have been, 
could have been, you know, could have we could have paid the price for that. But for me, I was reasonably confident. But you don't sleep until that final whistle finally goes. And but like I said, if Cavalera, if Cavalera scored the third goal, we would have thrashed them comfortably three 0 Then that would have been a sweet victory. But you know, it's, for me, it's also disappointing we didn't keep the clean sheet. That was what's disappointing. Really nice of one come to be two 0 and and deservedly winning two 0 I think that's a key thing. Okay. Claire, I'm going to go to you, and then I'll end with Max. You're positive. You are a positive person. Did you think it was over? I thought it was over. I know you, Claire. Did you think it was over, or, or were you thinking, uh-oh, it's not over no, yet? No, like Scott, you know, as as positive as I am, I, I you also know as a Fulham supporter, it's, it's never over to that red close <laughs> whistle. But I think I'm kind of the opposite to Emilio, and this is where the evil side of me comes in in that I actually liked the fact that Brentford scored one. They got one back because okay. it their, their supporters' hope, and then it was dashed <laughs> again. <laughs> so that evil part of me that was like... No, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, Claire. No. Oh, no, I know. That, no, there's a wicked side of me, Russ. You don't know that side of me. <laughs> but I think, you know, that that for me was almost sweeter because it was wow. like you had hope and then it was dashed. And, yeah, you know, they deserve that because they were rotters, you know, leading up to the game. They were absolute rotters, weren't they? Come on. Okay. But, you know, for me, it was never in doubt. I said 2-1. I knew okay. it was 2-1. Our boys didn't let us down and I knew they wouldn't. Oh, you were right, Claire. Max, how about you with your family? Did you think it was over at 2-0 or were you thinking like uh, some others, uh-oh, it's not over yet? Yeah, I, I, as soon as Brian got the second, I was already chanting, you know, we are Premier League. Um, oh, okay. Said, and I, I just let the emotions get the better of me. And I knew it ended up being right, but there was no time for two goals. There's no time. And it wasn't not only was there not time, there wasn't any, I think, belief left from Brentford. I think that second goal was an absolute sucker punch. Because we forget that before that goal, they were they almost got an equalizer. They were all over us towards the other end of the pitch, and it was nervy for us. So I thought that was a perfect way just to hit them on the break and take all the stuffing out of their comeback. In the end, they got one back, but there was no time. I loved Rodak holding onto the ball in the goal, uh, getting absolutely destroyed by the Brentford players, but just wasting a couple seconds. That's that's classic Fulham right there. Uh, but you know we stuck out the win. And the celebrations at the end were great because it was, as you meant, 120 minutes of just anxiety and torture for many supporters, and having all that relief just play out um, with the trophy lift. That was that was special. Absolutely, good stuff there. When you shop at a Walmart Vision Center, you get it. You know that you'll spend a little less on stylish glasses for the whole family. Welcome to the Vision Center. Let me know if you need help finding the perfect frames. Hey, Mom, you were right. These glasses are cool. Hon, they take our insurance. That means Papa's getting a new pair, too. Whoa, glasses start at just $39. Next stop, groceries. So you can get a little more of what you need. Find a Vision Center near you. Save money, live better. Walmart. All right, guys. Let's now really break down this match, and let's talk about the first half. I want to go through some... First half thoughts and second half thoughts. And Gordon, I'm going to start with you because um, what's interesting about it, I've listened to so many different podcasts analyzing this match, so I really want thoughts of everyone, but I'm really curious the thoughts of yours because um, I go back and I look at the first 25 minutes. I really want to focus on the first half. And I thought Fulham 
didn't have to weather a storm. And this is what I kept hearing on these podcasts, Gordon, and this is what frustrates me, is that Fulham and Brentford played like they didn't want to win the match. I completely disagree with this. I think this is a has to do with the tactics of Scott Parker. I want to give Scott Parker all the credit. I think what he did was set the team up to stifle the BMW, not let them play, and then take advantage of an opportunity when it come their, came their way and use Anoma uh, more forward and get the ball moving quickly. You kept talking about they need to move the ball quickly. I don't think this has to do with Fulham playing not to lose. I think this has to do with the strategy of Scott Park. I want your thoughts on the first half. I think the first uh, 20 minutes we sort of laid the groundwork for how we were going to play, possibly for the first hour of the game is to, to nullify Brentford. You've got to keep possession. You can't continually right. give possession away and allow them to get into a their stride. Um, when you look at the, the league game, there wasn't much between the two teams at the cottage except two breakaways in the last five, six minutes of the game. So when you start a game and you're in command, and Scott has said numerous times, he likes to sort of um, win the game by possession football, by not letting the opposition have the ball. And as, as, as Rob mentioned in the last podcast we did about Cabano having a run, who are you going to put up front if Mitro isn't there? When he's been suspended in the season, Cabano went up front, did well, scored a few goals. But he gave us that option, whether Reem or Hector had the ball and they had four or five passes from the back. As soon as they were going to be caught under pressure, we didn't go back to the keeper and nope. drag Brentford forward onto us. They popped a 50-yard ball over the top and Kibano put them under pressure. That's and right. on one occasion, he nearly intercepted them right on the dead ball line and, and created a chance for us. So I think they worked the tactics out well with the players that they had. And the, on the first 20 minutes, as I mentioned before Rob came on, um, I didn't have any worries at all by the way that we were playing. I thought we were playing well. We were knocking the ball about. We weren't getting caught in possession. And um, we started in a way to, to run the legs off Brentford. And second half, when you think that uh, Ben Rama didn't want to run back and chase back over the half. I'm sorry, did line, he play in this match, by the way? Did he play? Because he was, <laughs> that he was, was my first the whole match. Yeah, that well, was my first going, instinct when I thought... That was my first instinct where I thought they they are tiring. If he doesn't okay. want to run back and he wants to leave the runner go, then mm. we are really in command. And that was sort of 20 minutes into the second half. So first half, it was, uh, at, in a way, you can say a tactical masterclass, but we still had to play the ball around, play it early, not get caught in possession, and make them run, and, and that's what we did for forty, virtually for forty-five minutes. They didn't. They had a twenty-minute spell in the second half where they caused us one or two problems, but they were always going to come into the game at some point. Yep. It was only when um, uh, Watkins had that shot, which was just over the bar, then you think they could cause us one or two problems. But everything settled down, and yeah, you've got to give Scott and the management team and the players uh, credit for following a, t a plan right. which wasn't our normal game plan Absolutely to not. beat the opposition. And we beat the opposition, uh, as everybody was, the pundits were saying, Brentford are favourites, Brentford are going to win. So to, to stick it up the pundits as well, 
<laughs> fantastic uh, credit to the uh, to the club as a whole. Okay. Rob, over to you. I definitely want your analysis of the first half, and I'm glad that Gordon shared all that. And what's interesting about this, because the way I look at it, when I, I've watched this back several times, we forced them to play the way we wanted them to play. We dictated the play. They didn't dictate the play. We did. And, again, it's not that we didn't want to push forward whenever we could. We controlled the play. We took our chances when we had them. But they really, again, they didn't. They were forced to play a way that they didn't want to play. They, they, they wanted to have those three really be influential, and they weren't influential, especially in the first half. And I thought that really laid the groundwork from what we saw later on in the match. I just want your overall analysis of the first half. Yeah, uh, most definitely. Um, I mean, I think we, we should all applaud it should go to Scott and his team for you know really being brave and putting out a, a system and obviously I'm a little bit privy to what we, how we were going to play. Um, and, and, and I think we executed it for the first 60 minutes, as Gordon said earlier. I think they had 20 minutes in the second half, but we passed them to death. And, and we had the podcast a week before, and I think all four of us said we would win 2-1. Two of yeah. you got it right in extra time, and two <laughs> of us said just normal time. Yeah, I said, and, I, could, I, I, said I, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah, I said from day one that I thought they'd bottle it. I mean, and we've got to be honest, Brentford did bottle it because their, their BMW, so-called, didn't turn up. Didn't show know, up. It was probably more like a Skoda or a Lada because there definitely <laughs> was no BMW up front because we nullified them. That's and right. they didn't know whether to press or to drop off. And I think that first 45 minutes, without us having too many chances, we actually passed them off the pitch, you know, and we kept the ball. And, and, and there's been an element of that this season where Scott like, likes to play football to, to, to try and tire teams out and eventually try and win games in that last sort of 20, 25 minutes if it's still nil-nil. And I thought the overall plan, all right, went into, into 120 minutes. I thought we, we stuck to our game plan, even under pressure in that 20 minutes. You know, we didn't buckle. We, we kept our shape and we still continued to pass the ball, even though we... You know, we didn't create too many chances. And I thought it was it was a masterclass from Scott. You know, and we, we, we've we not given him the, the, the recognition he did because he's been under pressure all season. Sure. And there'll be people on this panel here tonight that have questioned him. And I'm sure we all have at different times, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's got a, he's come out of that game and I felt for him at the end. And, I, and you know, to, to look at someone like Mitro probably whispering in his ear, you're the best manager I've ever played with and the best coach I've ever played with. I'm not sure that's 100% right. I can't comment on that. But to me, that's what it looked like. And, I, you know, I think he should take him and his, his backroom staff, uh, I, I think, should take all the plaudits, as well as the, the whole squad, not just yeah. the starting eleven. You know, the team, the, the lads that have come in late on and done a, done a job, i.e. Cabano, Camara. Um, it's a whole squad game. And I think... We'd done everything to get over the line, and um, you know we were we were second favourites going into the game, and yep. the whole media of Sky and every newspaper and every radio channel were bumming them up like they were unbeatable, and we turned them over, and 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 I was no prouder Fulham ex-player and as a current fan like that night and the next day and the next few days, absolutely over the moon for everyone connected to the club. Okay, excellent. Scott, over to you. I want to get your thoughts on what Gordon and Rob just shared. And uh, do you agree with them and myself? Because I, I think that uh, Fulham dictated the play. They forced 
Brentford to play a way they didn't want to play, and, and they did not have a plan B. Let's just say they only had one way that they were going to play, and they weren't allowed to play that way. Your thoughts about the first half, which I think really forced uh, the play that we saw later on in the match. Like the guy said, they tired out in the second half and then going into extra time. Yeah, I love that, by the way, Rob, bumming them up. That's quite a good sentiment <laughs> how the media were with Brentford over this. Um, I think, you know, coming into this game, I think there's a lot of pressure on, on, on Scott Parker to get this right. And, and I'll put my hands up, and I was one of those. that Coming out of the COVID break, I kind of am. I was on his case. Um, I thought that the two games against Brentford and Leeds were obviously a couple of games that counted for us in, in uh, promotion push for the top two. Um, we didn't look good. We looked slow. We, you know, we looked kind of tired. We looked unfit. Um, and then we kind of faced QPR, and it, you know, they, they were a poor side. We kind of scraped through that. And not just me, but other fans were on their on their backs. And you know, leading up to the final, we kind of improved. Certain players stepped up. We just kind of, for me, went about our business in a very very quiet way. The media was Brentford, 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 Brentford all the time. Um, and you can see that we did kind of improve, um, you know, as a, as a side, you know, and certain players to that level. And then, like I said, when we got to the final, it was kind of, um, you know, the first half, especially, I, I had guys sort of texting me saying, oh, this is a bit sort of... And I was like, well, OK, well, I thought we, we kind of, we tactically played um, Brentford at their own game. Um, and over the right. first five minutes, we, you know, we, we did kind of wear them down, tie them out, and they just looked void of ideas. Um and, I, and I've got to give Scott credit for that. I mean, I can't really touch on, on, on much more of what Gordon and Rob said, really. They've, they've analysed it quite well. Yeah. Um, but it was a tactical genius, um, you know, and I, yeah, I, I've had to eat my words, and I thought that Scott done it very well. Okay, excellent. Emilio, anything else you want to add to what the guys shared about the first half? Um, yeah, I concur with everything that the guys have said. I think, for me, the moment where I got a little bit nervous was the Harrison Reed yellow card. You know, that, that worried me again. So, you know, picking up the yellow card, you know, dis- at times where our discipline was a little bit uncomfortable and then we were making, going in with some aggressive fouls. And you know, then we, we talked about it on the show on Tuesday night, straight after the game, didn't we? Did, were any of those two tackles from Reed and Kearney worthy of red cards? Maybe on another day, one might've been a red card. Who knows? But that, you know, that worried, that worried me right. as well. You know, picking up that yellow card. But overall, we did dominate the game in that first half. We didn't really give Brentford a chance. But I agree with Gordon. Teams will always have a moment. They'll always have opportunities. They'll always get a spell in the game. And we started to see that in the second half when some, you know, we started to tire somewhat. And the pitch was starting to get to us, you know, big wide pitch, big long pitch. And we were, you know, we, we were starting to give the ball away a little bit cheaply. They dispossessed us a few times. So, again, first half, I thought we were reasonably comfortable. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think the thing we also commented on is the strength of our bench. You know, something else. You know, that's probably the strongest bench we've had all season. You look at look at look at that depth we had there. The fact that we can bring on the knockout, Mitrovic, will be he was injured. You know, we had enough. We had enough quality on that bench. Many of those players would have been would have started in Brentford's first eleven, not if they were if they were in Brentford's lineup. So again, that's testament to the fact that we didn't have a, our usual eleven starting. Yet we had enough quality to come off the bench and and basically take the pressure off the the, the starting eleven team there. Okay, excellent. Max, over to you. Let's transition. Let's talk about the second half because I think the guys did a great job of breaking down the first half. And um, Brentford had their spell. and But I still think Fulham were in control. And as uh, Gordon said, I think that they were wearing them down and obviously we get to extra time. But what were your thoughts about Fulham's uh, play in the second half? 
Yeah, it definitely was a lot less positive in the first half because we had probably three or four clear-cut chances in the first half, um, mainly taking advantage of Brentford's shakiness. They looked poor at the back in the first half, and they had nothing in attack. And as you know, the guys mentioned, they were going to grow into the game at some point, and they did towards the second half. But if you look at Fulham, I can't isolate any real chances we had in the second half other than perhaps the Cabano free kick very early on. We had very little going forward. And that's when I think, you know, as Emilio said, the fatigue set in and we started to play for extra time. Uh, but again, players like Ollie Watkins, Benarama, Mbiomo, uh, um, these are players, BMW. Where were they? High, exactly. But where were they? One thing, you can blame it for them being anonymous. But again, I'm going to give credit to the to Parker and the film defense. I was going to say, you should be giving credit to Fulham for making them anonymous. Because, yeah, they're, they're, they're the best attack in the league and they barely showed up apart from small flashes. That's another thing I want to talk about, Parker, is that we won this match, we won promotion without our best player. Mitrovic is someone we rely on more than I think any other side. That's right. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I think that's what Parker doesn't get enough credit for in that we play the three most important matches of the season, the semifinal and the final, all without Mitro. I don't think you could find any other managers in the division that would lose their best player for that period of time and get the team to play so well without their talisman. Okay. Excellent. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but I want to go to Claire. Claire, what was going through your mind in the second half? And again, uh, I think everyone's done a pretty good, very good job of uh, breaking down the first half and Max leading us into the second half. What was going through your mind? Um, you know, I, th- I think you, you guys have pretty much said everything. And, and regarding the second half, it was very much, um, I would say our mentality was very confident and level-headed throughout the second half I think you know Emilio you're correct there was a few challenges and a few moments where you thought oh god please you know don't do anything to the detriment of the team to the detriment of of the game and I think the second half I felt that we were very level-headed I felt like we had the belief that we could win but we didn't have that arrogance and that's the difference I I totally agree with that Claire had the arrogance that they whereas we had the belief that we could win but it was it was a solid belief based on the skill and the way we were playing and I think the one thing I can't remember what game I came on the podcast with you and Emilio but I had said that we seemed like a very detached team at the time it was the just after game. lockdown game, and wasn't it? Just it was, after was it Leeds yeah that was it and I said that we were you know we played like quite a detached um group of 11 blokes rather than as a team you know we were just so solid together we were such a team um and everyone was obviously you know obviously confident in themselves but they were obviously obviously confident in their teammates as well and I think that really showed through in the second half um you know and and we did we played the game we let we we made Brentford dance to our tune throughout exactly that's Um, been my point yeah okay excellent all right, guys, let's get back. Let's, let's focus on the end and bring on Mitro. Rob, I want to go to you. I, I want to get your thoughts on this because Mitro looked like he was going to come on earlier. He didn't come on early. It looked like he really wanted to come on, but he came on for the final 10 minutes. And, of course, then you have uh, – I'm sorry, coming on for extra time. What are your thoughts? Because, again, we're now hearing that he basically had 10 minutes and he played more than 30. So – how do you think Scott handled this? And do you think this was actually the final move that uh, got Fulham over the line? Bringing him on. Do you? How much do you put in the fact that Mitro played a role in this? 
Oh, most definitely. Uh, I, I can categorically uh, confirm that the physio did tell Scott the day before the game and on the day of the game that he had maximum 10 minutes in. Maximum. Uh, he had done little or no training whatsoever, even up to the build-up of the game. And I think that last 20, 20, 20 minutes when he was warming up and jumping up and running up inside in front yep. of their dugout in front of Franks, that was all planned. That was definitely really? planned. Yeah, yeah. I think they've just just getting him warming up for that 15, 20 minutes before he actually come on. I think that was to really hammer home the message to their to their bench <laughs> and looking at some of their players from the touchline. I think that look was out, he's coming on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it was nil nil, and the game was it was it was petering out to to, to looking like it was going to be extra time. But I agree with with all the guys and the girl that you know we looked in command. You know, I mean, we had twenty minutes where we didn't. But we didn't look under pressure. I just thought we were. We knew we could win the game if we had one chance, and I think that's what uh, Scott probably thought. You know, I'd try and bring him on. Um, but yeah, he lasted thirty minutes. But if you analyse the game, when he was on for that thirty minutes, watch his running action. He was so holding back; it was unbelievable. <laughs> he was virtually running with a straight leg, with limping, with his hamstring. He literally didn't. He didn't. I mean, he, he he got involved in a few build-ups and he got involved in the the scuffle for the for the free kick, which again some people are saying was slightly planned. I'm not so sure about that whether it was or not, but it definitely gave us a chance for Scott to get to the touchline uh, for Joe to get to the touchline to to work out that sort of so-called what they were going to do. But yeah, he's been our talisman all season, and and I agree, totally agree that. Um, you know, how we've managed three games without him or possibly six or seven games throughout the season where we've gone on to one. I actually thought we looked at a slightly better team when he didn't play, if, if you can say that, even though he scored yeah. 26 goals. And I think the semi-final and the final up until he came on epitomised that. But uh, he has been a, a talisman for the for the squad. But, you know, let's give credit to Scott to changing the, the team pattern and asking players to you know, i.e. Bobby Reid to play that sort of central role for two or three games in uh, Swansea and, uh, and and the final. But, yeah, I, um, he did more than 10 minutes, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he didn't come on and, and pull it straight away. It would have been a risk to start him, as we all we all right. alluded to in the build-up. He could have uh, started and been off after 10 minutes. But, as I say, right up until uh, six, eight, ten hours before the game, the, the remit was that, you know, 10 minutes of maximum. He just wow. thought, if you get a cross, get an header, we could win the game. And I think that's how we're going to use him. And probably that's what he was thinking was when he brought him on. Excellent. Gordon, uh, I want to get your thoughts on Mitro coming on for, again, as uh, Rob said, they thought they might have 10 minutes. Obviously, he played much longer. But as a striker that you are, how much of, of just having him available his presence affected the match i'm curious your view you you know i i don't know if you've you probably have dealt with a serious injury playing so how much was just being out there affect this match i'm i'm, I'm talking about it especially in uh, extra time how much uh, do you think metro played a role in this just being out there i i think because the podcast that we did before the final um both rob and myself said uh, metro will know whether he's fit or not um, yeah, and I whether he's going to start and whether he's going to start or not. Scott came out and said we've got a fully fit squad, and both Rob and myself uh, said it could be manager's talk because he's not going to turn around and say, "Well," and be honest and say Mitro isn't fit 
because it's going to give Brentford a lift for the final before he starts. With him not playing in the semi-final or the, the, the semi-final second leg um, and sitting in the stands, do you look at it one way that he's carrying an injury or do you look at it another way, which I said, he's got two weeks off now. He's not played in either of the Cardiff games. So therefore, he's going to be closer to fitness. And when he's on the bench, from a Brentford point of view, you think that's great. Uh, we haven't got their main uh, strike man out on the pitch. But when he starts warming up towards <laughs> the end of the game, even into yep. injury time, every time that ball goes out of play, you will be getting the both centre-halves looking across to the dugout. Psychologically. The line to see, yep. is he coming on? So it's a psychological aspect. And as Rob said, they may have even said, usually you've got to stay down your, your half or behind the linesman. But uh, they may have said, make sure you run in front of the Brentford <laughs> dugout. Because our squad, we have got strength in depth. And as I mentioned before in, in the podcast, Brentford have used maybe 14 or 15 players all season. Um, after that, people have played two games, three games, four games. When we are bringing on knockout Cavaliero Mitrovic, that is a fright for any defence, whether it's your first game or whether you've played 43 games this season. So to have him just warming up, uh, put something in Frank's mind as if to say, right, if he comes on, how are we going to change it? Um, and how are we going to cope with a different formation? So just having him there, having him available, and yes, manager's uh, uh, talk that he's fully fit, you're wondering when he comes on, we've got a problem. So just having him there was a, a major plus for not only the team, but also for Scott, because as you said, having been a forward and a goal scorer, yep. you go on with the attitude, even if it's only the last 10 minutes, that you are going to get the one chance that you need to, to, to whip that ball in uh, and win the game. With having Mitrovic on there, he's another person that they've got to worry about, that's right. And it lets other people or it creates space for other people. So it was a tactical uh, awareness and mind games from Scott Parker in his first season <laughs> in probably the biggest game of his <laughs> managerial career. He got everything spot on. And you could tell by the from the from the Cardiff game, the celebration of the players when the goals went in, running across to Parker. Hugging Parker. Like Parker, it carried on through the final. It just shows you what they think of him as a person and as a manager and how tightly knit this group of players is. And they've been slaughtered a lot all season, but yep. they are together and they showed it. And congratulations to them. Oh, ec excellent stuff there, Gordon. All right, guys, we're going to end with man of the match. Emilio, you and I shared who we think are men of the match. We actually have it as a team man of the match, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Nothing, nothing's changed for me. I think at the okay. end of the day, naturally, Joe Bryan, two goals, got, you know, got us to the Premier League, but it's a team effort. You know, there were some other unsung heroes that, that night. Dennis Adoy, for example, you know, just, you know, I thought he had an outstanding, very, he just quietly got on with business, didn't commit many fouls that he's accustomed to doing. And, you know, he just, he just basically shielded, uh, his opposition from the Brentford team. I just thought the team as a whole played very well. Rodat looked confident. Okay. All the team were up for it. It's It was a team effort. So man of the match goes to the entire team. Okay, I like that. How about you, Scott? 
Yeah, I mean, we give it effectively as a, as a team man of the match. I think um, collectively we all play together for that victory, uh, whether it was off the pitch, on the pitch, the people that are around it. You know, even McDonald's slipping down the stairs, coming down and <laughs> everyone. Um, that was great, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and just touching on, on what Gorm was saying about Mitro, I mean, um, he wasn't there. I think it was the icing on the cake for him coming on. And there's always been that love story about Joe Bryan setting up Mitro. But on, on the night, it's the 1-2. Um, sets up Bryan for the goal, you know? That's uh, right. And, yeah, I mean, normally we sort of scrimp and scrape between sort of people and say, yeah, was it really him? Was it him? Um, but me, no, personally, for this game, it was collectively a man of the match for the whole team, really. I See, I totally agree with that. How about you, Max? Yeah, I was, I'm honestly shocked. I thought this was just going to be the Joe Bryan uh, love fest, and you've got no. locked up uh, with team of the match. Um, no, but it has to be Joe Bryan for me. Is no okay. doubt. I mean, on the biggest stage to have his like, best match in a full kit. And the fact that matters, he hadn't scored a goal for us, I think, in like 70 matches, or one goal in the last 73 matches, and there's two goals <laughs> at Wembley in the playoff final as a left back. I, I don't know how you cannot give him man of the match. Okay. Television star Claire, how about you? I'm going to go with Emilio and Scott as well. I think it was beautiful to watch us play as a team and watch us play so solidly and have that belief in each other. It it has to go to all of them. And obviously that includes the the, the, uh, backstage staff. um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's It's everyone. It's an effort. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Gordon, how about you? You know, again, I like the fact that we're talking about it as a team, but would you give it to one person or would or would you give it to, like, the entire team like we are? Well, I think generally if you are – if there are sponsors there and they're going to give it to the man of the match, then they are going to give it to one person. And for me, the two people that stood out on the night was one, the referee, because I've I think he refereed it exceptionally well and he didn't okay. really see anything in Kearney's tackle or Harrison Reed's tackle because, as Claire said, I think when they went in initially, everybody went, oh, hang on a minute, let's see what's going to happen. <laughs> so I think it's cl- it's a close run thing between the referee and Joe Bryan but okay. because he got two in the final, because he, he, he's got us to the Premier League, it's got to go to Joe Bryan. But as everybody says, you could give it to Scott Parker. Um, yeah. Just as a one-off for the, the the tactics that he used and and the whole team, but I'm going Joe Bryan because he scored the goals to get us there. <laughs> okay, how, how about you? You have the last word there, Rob. I just scored my pundit pundit there. I'll, I've, I, there's only one person who should get man a match, and that is Scott Parker. Okay, he, he he was the lieutenant uh, heading up this fantastic team that we had, and it is a team. Uh, but I would say. Definitely, in my opinion, Scott was an absolute masterclass in in dissecting how we could beat Brentford, how we could nullify them, how we could contain them when we came under pressure. And not just on on that game in the semi-final. You know, he's been a talisman all season and he stands there and some people like him, some don't. And I I thought he showed some fantastic emotion in that interview afterwards with Sky. It was absolutely fitting that... You know, he could he could stand there and said that he has a beer and a Chinese on a Saturday night and then we're mm. looking to get back to be a dad with his family and all that. You know, and I, I, I think he should be proud of himself and I'm sure uh, him and the squad are. But I'm say I'm not I'm not dissing the the, 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 the uh the panel's views of team team of man and match, but yeah, I, I would 
I would definitely Scott say Scott for me. Okay, excellent. Great show, guys. This has been so much fun to do, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to thank Scott Tanfield from Friends of Fulham, Emilio Donello. I want to thank Max Cohen, Claire, television star. I have to say that one more time because I just enjoy doing that. Rob Wilson, former Fulham player legend, and, of course, the legend that is Gordon Davis. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this show. We're going to have many more shows. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be ramping up our coverage. Believe it or not, I cannot wait to do this for the Premier League. Yes, Fulmer back in the Premier League, and we're going to have a lot of coverage. But we do have to wrap this up. For all of my co-hosts and my special guests, I'm Russ Coleman. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. For Fulham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a match with live commentary, goal alerts, lineups, in-game stats, and TV and radio links for over 100 leagues globally. Download the free COY Whites app now from the App Store and Google Play. It's the 90th minute, and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.